being here this morning. It's a delight to get to speak. Those of you on the internet, thank you for joining us. We do have a little bit of, a, of an unusual class compared to what we would normally be doing. We have been going through Philippians, as those of you in here know. Uh, last week, I started a class that was, uh, as we're working through the book of Philippians, a, a class that I entitled Christ the Paradigm because uh, it is Christ as the model after whom we should shape our lives. And when in the process of looking at that in Philippians, we'd gotten to the hymn, the song. And the, the song, I, I previewed it by saying that Paul was not only trained in law and read in philosophy and versed in athletics, but Paul was also what I would call a, 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 a musician music file, an audio file. He loved music. And we know this because, you know, he's singing when he's in jail. He's writing songs in his letters. He's making all of these references to music. He clearly was a music uh, lover. And so as such, we looked at uh, his teachings to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what we're going to do this class. So I've got Robert Morgan here, we've brought several hymnals, and we are going to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now this is actually interesting in the Greek, if we were reading this in the Greek, Ephesians 5, laleo is I believe the verb that's used, which is actually speak to one another. Uh, so we'll actually be speaking, I'm not planning on singing this uh, up here to you, you'll be glad to know. Uh, Robert may be wanting to sing some, but I suspect not. Uh, so, so we will be speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs as we sing and make melody of the Lord uh, with our heart. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. But I thought I would kick it off by looking afresh for just a moment at Paul's song. So the song that Paul references or writes up in Philippians 2 starts out under the, this is still the theme of what Paul's dealing with. Let your manner of life be worthy of the death of Christ. The, the ethical dimension of, of the cross for us. We should never look at the cross and simply say, I'm saved. Thank you, Lord. There is the salvation aspect of the cross, which obviously is, is of preeminent importance, but there's the transformational ethical aspect of the cross. And so as I was saying last week, you, you, and for the last several weeks, if we look at the death of Christ, it should affect how we live. And it's in that sense that Paul gives this song because he's commenting, yes, on Christ. But he's commenting in a way under this theme of how shall we live in a manner appropriate for the gospel. So Christ, and here's the song, it starts, Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And it continues, In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, and it, it, it continues. But in that vein, I want to start class out today by talking to you about the Cyclos tombstone. 
Now this is the tombstone I mentioned when I ran out of time last week. It dates from about 75 to 100 A.D. So this person died 15 to 35 years after Paul uh, wrote the letter. But this is our oldest known melody that we can reconstruct. And the melody is found in these notations above the Greek that you see up there. And you've got it all the way through. So scholars are quite easily able to put that to sound and put it to a key that seems to be a fair key for it though the key might have been different depending upon who was singing it. They didn't typically have a pitch pipe back then and A440 was probably an unknown concept. So it's going to be pitched differently depending on who's singing it, much like many of our songs in here. Um, but here it is. Now the Greek pronunciation, if you're going to try and follow along because I've got someone singing it here, the Greek pronunciation is modern Greek, not ancient Greek. So it sounds a little bit different than what you've got here. And because it was written on a tombstone, it tells you that it would have been serious music. This is not, uh, you know, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-a, my oh my, what a wonderful day. You know, this is, this is a, a solemn melody, and it gives us an idea of what at least, and this is found right outside Ephesus, what the melodies might have sounded like for songs that were being sung outside of simply the Judaism psalms. And so uh, the, the lyrics, as I've translated them, and, and I'm sure a lot of people can translate them better. I wasn't trying to get it exactly right. I was trying to get the thrust of what it says. While you live, shine, don't grieve at all. Take life loudly because you can't stop death. So that's in essence what it is. Now I took this and I gave it to a friend and I rewrote the Christian lyrics off of Philippians 2 as an inspiration. And I had my friend record it and instead of the Greek kithara, he played it on a guitara. <laughs> By the way, we do get guitar from kithara, okay? Um, and he's taken a little bit of liberty with the melody, but not too much. He'll repeat lines and stanzas of the melody to make it fit. But with appreciation to Phil Keggy, uh, who did this for me, uh, here is your best bet at English lyrics with Christian content from the first century, the time of Paul, set to a melody that would have been consistent with the time of Paul. This could have been what you might have been singing in church at the time. Here it goes.
Pause there because we have too much to get through. Phil did it three times. But that gives you a flavor, perhaps, the best we can do, or best I can do at least academically, of an earliest church hymn in a Greek world, not in the Jewish world. The Jewish Psalms we can sing differently. We'll talk about those later, perhaps, if we have time. But with that, I want to now transition and bring up here Robert Morgan. Would you join me in welcoming Robert? Y'all know him. Watch your step, please. Y'all know who were there last night from my introduction. Robert's got like eight gazillion books out there. He sold over five million copies. Something. Something. Who's counting? Have a seat. I think I personally have bought at least half of those. Um, I have ordered for this class his Red Sea Rules. It's out of, they're out of paper right now, so I don't know when we'll get them. But we're going to give you each a copy of it because I think it'll change your life. It's a, it's a, it's a short read. It's an easy read. But it is informative and inspirational. And I want to say thank you for writing it. It helped change my life. I am very grateful, so grateful. It's, it's all the Lord. Well, it's all the Lord. All right, these are my friends, and we've got friends on the internet. We have people who watch this in Germany. We regularly get emails from Germany, the Philippines, from, from all over the place. We've got a satellite campus in Jersey Village that watches this uh, uh, right now while we're going on here, and we welcome them, by the way, and uh, miss them. And so what I'd like to do is take the time today to talk to you about hymns, but to do that, for those who don't know you, let's take five minutes and get to know you. Yes, sir. Tell them a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a hillbilly, grew up in the mountains of East Tennessee, right along the Appalachian Trail, and came from a family that loved the Lord. When I was 19 at Columbia International University in South Carolina, Uh, My pastor there, by the way, was Dr. Ed Young, and that was 50 years ago. Wait, 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 like like Fast Eddie over at Second Baptist? (laughs) Yes, sir. He was… I was joking, Pastor Young, Dr. Young. He was was, uh, a young pastor, had just come to First Baptist Columbia. I went to church there. I just uh, revered him every Sunday. um, But it was during that… my sophomore year, 50 years ago next month, that I yielded my life fully to the Lord. Mm. And um, Dr. Young, it doesn't seem like 50 years. It seems that I can't believe how quickly it's gone. Um, And Dr. Young would mentor me. He'd let me come into his office, and I saw him last month. I said, Dr. Young, I said, when 50 years ago you would have me over and over again into your office to talk about preaching, he said, I'm sorry, I don't remember any of it. <laughs> I said, that's all right, I remember it, I remember it. But, um, but that was a life-changing experience for me. That was when my whole life changed. And then at that same school I met my wife Katrina. I went on to Wheaton, 
uh, for graduate studies. We uh, uh, began pastoring in the Tennessee mountains. And in 1980, there was a church in the Donaldson community of Nashville that invited us to come. And I've been the pastor there. I was the senior pastor for nearly 40 years. And my wife developed multiple sclerosis during that time. And so I had to step away from being the senior pastor uh, to care for her. And the Lord's taken her now to heaven. But, um, but I'm still there on staff as the teaching pastor. We have three daughters, 16 grandchildren. And the fact that I only speak there, preach there once a month gives me the opportunity of traveling and speaking in other places and writing. And, and uh, so that's about all there is to me. Well, that's fantastic. So what got you into hymns? How did you become uh, maybe America's most famous right now hymn historian? Well, I, w I wouldn't say that. That's because you're also humble, but I would. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up in a church that sang... We almost always, when I was a boy, opened the worship service with Holy, 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 Come Thou Almighty King, or I'll Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Uh, and I just always loved the majesty of those three hymns. But then, most of the rest of the music was the gospel songs, the Fanny Crosby songs. So I grew up sort of knowing those better than the, the more classic hymns. But then when I was in college, I had just given my life to the Lord. And in chapel, we sang these great, majestic German and English classic hymns uh, like, uh, Praise ye the Lord the Almighty, uh, and if thou but suffer God to guide thee, some of those German hymns, and then the great English hymns, Crown Him with Many Crowns, which has a very interesting story behind it. Crown Him with Many Crowns, the Lamb upon the throne, hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. And, uh, and then... This was during the Jesus movement. So outside of chapel, we would sing As a Deer and Pass It On and the Ralph Carmichael songs and everything. So I just grew up with a combination of the classic hymns in chapel, the Jesus uh, music in the dorms, and the gospel songs from my background. And I just found that as a non-musician, I needed the internal music. Um, I, maybe if I'd been a musician, I wouldn't have become so enamored with the hymns, but somehow I needed that inner music um, to go along with my Bible studies. And then I found that when I'm preaching, sometimes the most powerful moment is when I quote a hymn. Spurgeon would do this. Almost every sermon, he would, he would begin quoting hymns in his sermon. Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song of sweet accord and thus surround. There is something about being able to weave those into sermons that seems to speak to people. And so out of that, I don't know, I just, I just developed an appreciation for the devotional theological value of the hymns. And then the stories behind them, you know, can be so interesting. Well, in that regard, uh, I have brought, let's see if I can get it here. I have brought, that's going to have to do it. <laughs> Hold on, I have technology. Great Songs of the Church. This book, Great Songs of the Church, this is the hymnal I grew up with. One, I mean, this isn't the physical one. This is mm -hmm. the 
the addition, I should say, that I grew up with. And I can't find it anymore except off eBay. I try to pick up a few of them off of eBay because I wanted to, to get a bunch of them. But I grew up singing these hymns and I brought it with me. I've got you a hymnal book, but I just put up here, Crown Him with Many Crowns, because you mm -hmm. said there's an interesting story behind it, and that just whetted my appetite. Crown Him with Many Crowns, the Lamb upon His throne. Hark, how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake, my soul, and sing of Him, whoops, of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. All right, so give us the story. Well, this is a very regal hymn. It's majestic. It is objective. And when we listen to hymns or we sing them, we should be able to distinguish between an objective and a subjective hymn. A subjective hymn is mainly what God has done for me, and that's important. But an objective hymn is not so much about me, it's about Him. Uh, it's about God. It centers on His attributes, what he, who He is and what He has done. So Luther Bridges, who wrote some of the verses here, was a Roman Catholic in England. And he wrote, because the Protestants were producing, you know, hymns, then the Roman Catholics began producing hymns. So he wrote six verses about the regal reign of Jesus Christ, and the Catholics started singing them. Well, the Anglicans loved that song, but they didn't feel that they could sing the stanzas because they were Catholic. So, <laughs> so the Protestants wrote their own six stanzas, and started singing Crown Him with Many Crowns to their own words. Well, this song right here is half Catholic, half Protestant. Over time, there were hymn editors who took verses from the Catholics and verses from the Protestants, brought them together in one hymn. So when you sing Crown Him with Many Crowns, it is an ecumenical song. It is both Catholics and Protestants, the best verses of both put together in one hymn. I will remember that story now that I know what the melting pot hymn is. Um, that's, uh, that's good. That's good. Um, so, in the process of, of life, how do you use hymns? You made a reference last night to keeping a, a hymnal next to your Bible for your quiet time each day. Uh, talk to us about how you use hymns. Oh, my goodness. It, uh, you do need to have a hymnal. The, the Baptist hymnal is, uh, is still, in, still available uh, from current publishers. But you need a hymnal by your Bible when you have your morning devotions. Now, not everybody has their morning devotions or their evening devotions whenever in the day you have it. But that was the single most important habit that I was mentored in when I was a sophomore after I gave my life to the Lord. The college I went to emphasized that. And then my friend across the hall uh, knew Billy and Ruth Graham. And so on weekends when Billy was away, we would go up to visit Ruth. And she said, you've got to have your daily devotions. Here is the notebook. Here is the way I do it. 
And so from that point on, I've been having my devotions the way that Ruth did. And she loved the hymns. Uh, she would quote them just out of thin air. She said, are you familiar with what John uh, Newton said about prayer? Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. And so I learned to begin combining hymns with my devotions because the hymnal, as I said last night, is the greatest treasure trove for meditation apart from the Bible that we have. Uh, and so, I, you know, I begin every day sort of with a hymn. Uh, today it was, To God Be the Glory, Great Things He Has Done, uh, of the Vanny Crosby hymn. But there's another thing, uh, Mark, when you go through the day, there are times when you need a word from the Lord, and it comes to you with a hymn. And I'll give you a very personal example. This isn't exactly a hymn. It's more of a, a 20th century gospel song. But two or three months before my wife Katrina died, I could see that she was declining, and it was troubling. Um, and one night I lifted her into bed. I got her all situated in her bed, and she had trouble sleeping, so she would, we got an Alexa, so she would, she could play hymns at night, and she would listen. She loved what a friend we have in Jesus. And so, but I got her situated in bed, and I went out to the patio with something to drink and just sit there, and I was trying to grapple with all of this. And a song came to my mind that I hadn't heard, I don't think, for 30 or 40 years. And it's not really one we sang in church, but it was a popular song for a while that the soloist would sing. And the title of it, probably I'd be interested in it if any of you know it, but it's my heavenly Father watches over me. And I don't know if it's, if it's any of these hymns, but the words say, I trust in God wherever I may be, upon the land or on the rolling sea, for come what may from day to day, my heavenly Father watches over me. And I looked it up on my phone and listened to it, and that song, it stayed with me throughout the end of my wife's life. And, and afterwards, that song just wrapped me up with the knowledge the Heavenly Father was watching over me. So, a few months after Katrina died, I did an interview with Babby Mason. And after the interview, I said, Babby, do you know this song? Oh, yes, she said, I love it. And we sang it together. I got a videotape of a duet with Babby Mason singing, My Heavenly Father Watches Over Me. But there are times when songs because they're emotionalized being music, will, will speak to you when you need it if they are lodged somewhere in your mind. Mm. Mm. Um, amen. And um, how long ago did Katrina pass? She passed away on Veterans Day. And can I say just a word about that? I put this in the Jordan River Rules. Um, Katrina passed away on November the 11th which was Veterans Day. We were all around her bed. We were singing, uh, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And um, she passed away. The nurse who was with us in our home said a few minutes later, she said the time of death was 11-11. And someone said, 11-11 at 11-11. And my son-in-law pulled out his Bible, and he said, listen to this. 
John 11, 11 says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. Mm. So the Lord gave us John 11, 11 at 11, 11 on 11, 11. Wow. Wow. So. All right. So um, you did a magnificent job, and I'm going to keep track of time here because uh, I want us to have some time to go back and forth with hymns. But you did a tremendous job yesterday, of last night, of talking about how modern music is also important mm -hmm. and how important it is for us in the older crowd to learn the modern music and how important it is for those in the younger crowd to learn the older music, to yes. kind of span the ages so mm -hmm. that we've got the, the treasures of centuries, yeah. of, of millennia. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any modern songs that particularly minister to you? Well, yes. And one of the problems with modern songs is we never know what the titles of them are. <laughs> the words go up on the screen, and down in tiny words with the copyright is the title of the song, which we never see. But the song that is, uh, and so I don't know the name of this song, but the words say, he gives and takes away, he gives and takes away. What, how does that go? Does anyone know that oh, song? Oh, yeah, we, we sing that. Yeah. Uh, he gives and takes away, he gives and takes away. Blessed be the name. Yeah, blessed. Blessed be the… Uh, yeah. You, you know all of these, Lorraine. What is yeah. it? Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Yes. I love that song. But, but it didn't stay around long enough for me to memorize all the words. This is one of my complaints, is we don't sing it anymore at our church. We sang it for a few months, just long enough for me to like it, and then we stopped <laughs> singing it, not long enough for me to learn the words. And in order to internalize the words, you have to sing a song over a long period of time. But some days I'll go back and I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll I remember that phrase, uh, blessed be the Lord when the times are good, when the times are bad. It's basically taken from Job. Right. But maybe it's because of what I went through with Katrina, but that song speaks Minister. to me. I love the Revelation song. I do know the name of that one because it, it is that worthy of the lamb refrain. Um, Laura's story is indescribable, which we don't sing anymore. But it was a, a great modern creation hymn, really, about how it was, it was full of vivid language about how God's creation um, is something for which we should thank Him. Uh, so there, there are some certainly um, um, new songs that really minister to me. So one of the things that I do when I'm in trial, mm -hmm. and, and I, I spend a lot of I've spent a lot of my time in trial. Um, I added up one time, I've tried, well, I've tried hundreds of cases, but 13 of my cases have lasted into the third month. Hmm. And so that's, that's just incredibly concentrated time. And I hate being away from my family. I hate being away from, from the, the normal sea of life because I try most of these cases all around the U.S., not here in Houston. And, and one of the things that I learned early on that sustained me is I would develop a playlist for the trial. Mm -hmm. And this would be a list of songs that I would have playing constantly, basically in my war room. So uh, I, I have lawyers that work with me. Some of them are believers. Some of them are pagans. Some of them are probably who knows what. 
but they just know that I'm the boss and they have to, mm -hmm. if they're in my war room, they have to listen to my music. So you got these pagans singing these Christian songs because they start to know them after a while. It's kind of funny. But I thought, um, you know, I, I thought I would pull up one from a recent trial. Let's see if this shows. It does not show. Mm. I want you to see it. Maybe we can do it this way. So I, I did a, this is my Spotify playlist for the June trial, June 3rd trial. Let's see if we can focus. Maybe we need to zoom a little bit. Not sure. Yeah, you can sort of make that out. Mm. So, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful by Keith Green. Yeah. How many people know that song? Yeah. Okay, that song belongs on mm -hmm. a playlist. At the cross, at the cross. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Chris. Tom How many people? That's an old. That's an old hymn. Yeah. But yeah. it's he. He updates it wonderfully. Yeah. Worthy is the Lamb, by Hillsong. Mm -hmm. Maybe a different Worthy is the Lamb. It's same Lamb though. Um, Healer of my soul by John Michael Talbot. Okay, mm -hmm. a few. Oh, sacred head. All right. Yeah. You know, Oh, Sacred Head. You referenced it last night. Or Bernard of Clairvaux. Yeah. You tell us about that song for a moment. Yeah. So I'll put the lyric up. So during uh, medieval times, um, congregational singing was discouraged in the Western churches, uh, not in the Eastern churches, but, but throughout Europe and the Roman Catholic world. Uh, but in the monasteries, the, um, the monks would uh, write sacred poetry. Uh, they would meditate on Scripture and write sacred poetry, and they would put it to chant. They would sing it some. Well, some of the best of that then was translated, especially it's very interesting that when, when uh, Isaac Watts was writing his hymns, there were English Anglicans who thought these aren't good enough, we need to go back to the medieval monks. And so they would find these and write them and publish them in opposition or in competition to Isaac Watts' hymns. But Bernard of Clairvaux uh, was a, a, a brilliant man who developed uh, a, a monastery out of nothing, it became a great monastic order. And he was a writer, and, and out of his poetry then, segments have been translated into English. Uh, Jesus, lover of my soul, is another one, and O sacred head now wounded. So this is, uh, this is music from the monastic uh, era of, of Bernard and, and of these monks who also produce very interesting, uh, a lot of devotional material. You know, Tozer loved reading the mystics. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that J.I. Packer read the Puritans, Tozer read the mystics, but they both sort of uh, came to the same, you know, to the same depth of biblical teaching. But these wonderful monastic hymns, um, another one, one of my favorite monastic hymns, I, li I wake up every morning to this song because I have it on my, uh, my device that wakes me up is uh, when morning gilds the skies, my heart awakening cries, may Jesus Christ be praised. Do you know that song? No. Oh, <laughs> we'll have to, I wish I could only sing it for you. Can you sing it, Pam? 
when, when morning, when morning gilds the skies, my heart awakens. I'm not going to even try. May Jesus Christ be praised, alike at work and prayer. To Jesus I repair. To Jesus Christ be praised. There were about 45 verses to it to begin with, but most hymn, hymnals have pared it down to just four or five. But it's a wonderful morning hymn. Yeah. Yeah. So that comes from… Trimmed it down to three. Yeah, that, that comes from the Roman Catholic um, uh, monastic era. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Latin for praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. How many of you know O Sacred Head? The, um, this, this is, this is, Oliver, do you know O Sacred Head? <laughs> Wesley, do you know O Sacred Head? You don't either? Okay, I'm looking for other youth. Don't raise your hand, you're not young. Okay, you need to know this song, Oliver. So, you know, Mark, one of the problems with O Sacred Head and songs like that is that they don't fit into the modern, rapid, exuberant beat of a lot of music, and churches have forgotten how to have contemplative music. And we're about so to that, remember. This is, why, this is why some people just uh, don't know this song. All right, here you go. imagine a bunch of lawyers on their Don Quixote crusade <laughs> to slay the dragons coming in already knowing they've got to stay sober because they're working with me. So it's not a hallucination. And after about, I mean, this playlist is 57 minutes and nine seconds long. So that song's coming on once an hour. And after 
30, 40 days of hearing it four or five times a night. They're in there singing it in four-part harmony. <laughs> what language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? For this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end. Oh, make me thine forever. And should I fainting be, Lord, let me never outlive my love for thee. Mm -hmm. And it's just... Um, these are these can be yeah. transformational. So can the modern songs. I mean, at the end of that, mm -hmm. they would get "So Will I" by Hillsong Worship. Have you heard mm -hmm. that song? So shall I. I don't. I don't think so. Oh, I'm, mercy! It could be. I don't know the titles of the new songs, but I know the melodies. So, um, who knows "So Will I" by Hillsong? God of Creation. There at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. Mm -hmm. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. Mm. I can see your heart in everything you've made, every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I. God of your promise, you don't speak in vain. No empty syllable or void. For once you've spoken, all nature and science follow the sound of your voice. And as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say, every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I. God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done, every part designed in a work of art called love. Mm -hmm. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. That's pretty... It is. That, that's going to be around in 50 years. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think that is an example of an objective modern song. It is primarily about God, His creative ability, um, and, and the words are, are lyrical, they are vivid. I'm surprised that, I, that we haven't sung it at our church because the words are so good, and I'm wondering if there is one word in that song that has kept some churches from singing it, which is the word evolved. 
Mayhap. You know, the creatures evolved. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there are worship leaders who would look at that and say, oh, we can't use, use that, that word in this context. But it's a beautiful, it's objective. We need modern songs that talk more. So I complain a lot about the fact that almost every song we sing is something about broken chains. <laughs> my, well, you my, haven't uh, spent a lot of time in jail, have you? <laughs> my, uh, well, no. If, if, I, if I needed to, I know who I would call. But, um, well, unless you're on that orange slip and I sit on it for a it's week all and about forget it. My, my grandson, who is 16, said, Papa, he said, if I have one more song about broken chains, he said, I'm going to. <laughs> it was so, um, but that, that has great lyrics, scriptural lyrics, objective lyrics. And that's what we need. We need more of those. Um, yeah, I think one reason it may not be sung is because it's seven minutes long, too. So it's kind of like, okay, well, there's the song service. Now, um, many of the new songs are too long, and a lot of the length is in the repetitious nature of the breaches yeah. in them. I, I would like to, some, I need a, a, a meat cleaver to a few of the songs today. Okay. Now, I get to, by the way, I've given him no prep on this. I didn't say, hey, go home and get ready for this question. Um, so you have no trouble just saying, I don't know. Um, I got to ask you about some of my favorite songs that have just changed my life. Number 532. You don't have to know it by the Church Christ hymnal number. You'll know it because it's an Isaac Watts song that we talked about. When I survey the wondrous cross on which Which the the Prince Prince of Glory glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That is, some people write this as the greatest hymn ever written because it is so beautiful. Uh, There is not a specific story behind that hymn. The whole Isaac Watts catalog of hymns comes out of his life. He was the son of a dissenter. And um, in England, you've taught church history here. Uh, If you are not an Anglican, um, then you couldn't get into the Cambridge or Oxford. You, You you were a dissenter. You, you believed that an independent church separate from the state made up of genuine believers uh, would, is the New Testament plan. And Isaac Watts, when he was a baby, his father was imprisoned for being a dissenter. And, uh, and, and the man's wife would bring little Isaac and, and nurse him on the steps of the jail. Um, and so when Isaac was a teenager, he wasn't able to go to one of the great universities. So he went to a little dissenter's Bible college outside of London. And then he, after he graduated, he was 19 years old, going on 20, and he moved back to uh, Southampton where he lived. He lived there with his uh, parents for two years, and they went to the above-bar Baptist church. 
And Wait, above Bar Baptist Church? Yes, above Bar, B-A-R, Baptist Church, uh, which was destroyed, sadly, in World War II during the bombing, but, uh, but that's where they went. And one day, the, the story goes that Isaac was coming home, and they were only singing the metrical psalms. And Isaac said, this was a wonderful service, except the music was awful. He said, I hate these metrical psalms. And his father said, well, if you think you can do better than King David, then go ahead and try. <laughs> and so Isaac, now he was only 19, but he was a brilliant, I mean, he was a genius, truly yeah. a genius. Yeah. Uh, and he was sort of a short, odd, sickly fellow. But, but he came back the next week with a hymn based on words in Revelation, and that church very bravely sang it. And for the next two years, he wrote a song every week for that church, and they sang it. And so when he was 19, 20 years old, that, that was when the greatest production of his, he became known as the father of church hymnody. And then he was ordained, he became a pastor in London, and um, he became sick. And he said, I can't continue to pastor, I'm sick. And they said, well, if you'll preach on Sundays, we'll hire somebody else to do everything else. And, um, and so he said, all right. And then a couple in the church who had a beautiful manor house out in the country said, why don't you come and stay a week with us and we'll take care of you. So he moved into that house and he stayed there 37 years. <laughs> and um, never got married. He fell in love with a woman who fell in love with him without seeing him based upon his hymns. But when she met him, um, he was so small and sick and odd-looking that she broke off and broke his heart. So he never got married. Uh, he wrote later textbooks on logic, which were used at Cambridge and Oxford and the schools that wouldn't let him in. But, uh, but his, his hymns uh, came out of, his, uh, out, of, out of his preaching and theological studies, his Bible studies, and, and that's why they have this depth and passion. So, uh, it, when you're bored and you want to go to the library, um, we've got a number of first editions, Isaac Watt first editions, including his book on logic. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and it's, it's fun to go look at them and, and to see them. And he wrote on botany. He wrote on all mm -hmm. sorts of subjects. Mm -hmm. uh, profound fella. Um, all right. If you've got one hymn in, in your life, which one are you taking? Oh, boy. I, I keep changing uh, my favorite hymn. Um, many days I love to start with Rejoice, the Lord is King. It's a Wesley hymn. Rejoice, the Lord is King, your King and Lord adore. Rejoice, give thanks, and sing in triumph evermore. Another Wesley hymn, which I thought of when you were talking about Philippians 2, is uh, And Can It Be? Because one of the verses is taken from Philippians chapter 2. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and died for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for lo, my God, he died for me. Mm. Uh, and theologians have quibbled about that word emptied, but poetically, you know, it's, it's perfectly justified in the lyrics. And, uh, uh, and so, And Can It Be is a very powerful hymn. 
Uh, well, Wesley's hymns are full of theology. So you give, that's his brother's influence yeah, yeah. too, in part I would assume, but you've given me a wonderful chance to plug next week's class. So next week we will be looking at the, the Greek word for emptied, mm -hmm. which is in that passage. Uh, it's, it's often called the canonic passage after the, the Greek word uh, for, for empty. And so we'll, we'll be looking at that and, and trying to understand what it means. Well, people have gone back and forth about whether that word should be in Wesley's hymn. But the general consensus is that uh, it, it's a perfectly great word for a hymn as long as you don't interpret it in a way that Wesley did not intend. So I've always loved, in the fourth verse, I think I quoted it last night, I can't remember. He left, um, long lay my, uh, my soul in nature's, I've, I've lost the first line to it, but it's a great testimony verse. Many people think that, uh, that Charles, you know, so here's, here's, Charles was brilliant too, but he would meditate while he rode his horse from speaking engagement to speaking engagement. He was also a preacher, and he would compose these hymns in his mind hmm. uh, based upon his meditation of Scripture. And he would come to a house, and he would jump off his horse and run into the house saying, pen and ink, pen and ink, so he could record the lyrics of his hymn before he forgot them. But wow. that's how the Wesley hymns, many of them were written. All right, one last thing I want to do that, that you made me think of last night before we uh, uh, end class. You talked about how sometimes you'll just get out your hymnal and your hymnal has a section in it entitled Topics. Mm -hmm. And you'll use that to, you know, a topic, uh, confidence and trust, conflict and trial, um, you know, aspiration and longing. Uh, these, these various topics. Explain how you would use a hymnal in this way. I love the hymns of aspiration. Uh, those are hymns in which we ask the Lord to help us to grow more like Him. Um, we just have an aspiration to, to grow. My, my verse this morning in my quiet time was from Colossians 1 that says, Lord, give me the knowledge of Your will so that I may please you in every way. And I'd never noticed that word every before. In every way we're to please the Lord. And I've just taken that, that verse with me all day long. So, hymns of aspiration, if you are just feeling a need to grow in godliness, uh, you feel like there is failure in your life and you want to say, Lord, help me to grow more godly, then, <clears throat> then you would look for hymns of aspiration. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Or there's an old hymn that says, I'm pressing on the, upward way. the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every, every day. day. Yeah, so that's a hymn of aspiration. If you are very troubled and, and you, you, you know, you talked about you need a playlist for, tri for your trial. I need a playlist for my trials because <laughs> we go through trials in life. So maybe one of those uh, would be, it is well with my soul, mm. you know, mm. which has probably the most dramatic story behind it. Everybody knows that story. But so… Um, well, and, and here's, here's where we are. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a time freak, mm -hmm. and we have one minute, and we have to quit. Yep. So here's what I want to do. 
I'm going to put up here under topics, closing hymns. <laughs> mm -hmm. I want you to pick one of these hymns that you know, now and we're going to look at it. Now the day is over. Now I the day love. is over, number 451. Yes, I love right. that but song. But this is not your excuse to leave and not go to church. <laughs> now the day is over. Um, Night is drawing nigh, shadows of the evening fall across the sky. Um, Night is drawing nigh. And you know where I learned this song? Going back, so we're coming full circle. When I was at First Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina, they had Sunday night services and at the end, and Dr. Young would, his message was always, I was just, and then they, you know, but then at the very end of the service, the organ would begin moving into this, and we would, the choir would sing, now the day is over, da, 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 and they would sing the first verse, and then the organ would play, and Dr. Young would just speak to us his closing word. He said, this has been a wonderful day. Here's what we learned. Take this, and then we would all come back in four-part harmony and sing the same first verse. Now the day is over. And it was, and then the service would be over, but it was like you had been raptured up to heaven. And from, so very often now, I will still, and some of these verses, it's a prayer. You know, they are very great. Um, I'm sorry. Um, Jesus, give the weary calm and sweet repose. With thy tenderest blessings, may our eyelids close. So, I just love, now, the, I'll always love it, you know, and it goes back to that experience at church many years ago. All right. Well, in, in the name of Jesus, uh, would you please stand up and pronounce a blessing over the class? And class, would you join me in thanking Robert for being here today? And if you would bless us, then we will uh, head to church. I certainly will. And now may the God of peace, God Himself, sanctify you through and through so that your whole spirit, soul, and body be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Thank you again.